listening to Pulpit Fidelis, a podcast that seeks to encourage, equip, and exhort ministers of the local church to always be faithful to the Word of God. Pulpit Fidelis, always faithful. Welcome to Pulpit Fidelis. I'm your host, Jay Knight. I'm so thankful that you have joined us today, and we are looking forward to getting right into our episode and getting right into the Word of God. The title of our episode today is Alias, Man of God. Let's get to it, shall we? Today I want to talk about identity problems in the ministry, or a ministry identity crisis, you might call it. And it exists either in the minds or in the actions of many ministers. And it is a temptation that lingers outside uh, just the periphery of so many of us who lead, pastor, and teach within the church of the Lord. I I call it the MOG syndrome. It's easily diagnosed and it is certainly found as a product of those who have misunderstood or distorted certain foundational statements concerning what it is to have uh, uh, the positions of leadership and teaching within the church of Jesus Christ. We think to what James says in his third chapter of his epistle. He says, Brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. There seems to me to be, as we read those words, a strong sense of, of reverence and of humility. As we read, there's, there's a haunting aura that that surrounds that verse is we're reminded that it is not so much that we ought to be running and rushing to take places of authority over others within the church because we understand that we will be held to a higher point of responsibility. Jesus said this, to whom much is given, much shall be required. It's not necessarily always a blessing that we are given places and positions where we have people's attention, where we can make decisions and where we can share information that will influence the lives of others because there is much by way of responsibility, humility, and accountability that must be present when we are in that position. What is MOG syndrome? It's an addiction to power. It's a distortion of God's calling and grace. It's a perversion of the Christ-honoring church ministry. It's having a heavy hand and a hard heart. Those who suffer from MOG syndrome, man of God syndrome, they are obsessed with their image. They're addicted to the power that comes with their position as pastor or as teacher or as elder. And they're only focused in on the way they are perceived, their popularity, or else they're focused in on how they might get their way, their goals pushed through, forgetting oftentimes, if not every time, forgetting that within their own church there are valid spiritual choice people who dwell within those places that deserve their care, We're, that are uh, part of the calling of giving care, sacrifice, and of delivering the truth to these people. Someone has categorized this sort of spirit 
by defining it as micromanaging the flock, power tripping on the committees, top-down leadership, CEO mentalities, bullying and intimidation. We see that this is a troubling reality. Many of us serve in smaller areas. We serve maybe in the South. Some of us serve in places where it's more dominant, where it's, uh, where it's more um, prevalent. And we see where this has taken place. Maybe some of us, in a very humble and honest way, could look at ourselves and see how that at times this particular problem has crept into our lives and has affected us and our churches in certain ways. This isn't a finger-pointing exercise. This isn't an episode that is focused in on making you feel bad or bringing out the guilt. But it is a very, very needful thought that we consider ourselves in light of grace, consider ourselves in light of who Christ has made us, who Christ has remade us to be, and who Christ has called us to be, knowing that we have a part, that we are involved in something much greater than ourselves, and that we are called to be faithful to our people, to those to whom we have been given this ministry. The title itself is a two-edged sword. If we're not careful in how that we use it and understand it, it's certainly a blessing. There is a, a sense, should never be a sense of pride, but certainly a sense of gratitude in that God would, by His grace, put us into the ministry. That's how Paul said, uh, spoke of his ministry. He said that it was by the grace of God he'd been entrusted this ministry. It's a very important word to remember. But this is also not a license or a badge for our superiority. It's not a place for us to air our own personal difficulties with authority and arrogance. It's not our get-out-of-jail-free card whenever we mess up, whenever we make a bad decision, whenever we, whenever we make a bad call, or whenever we do something that could be potentially harmful to another. It's not something we can pull out of the air and say, Oh, well, I am the man of God. Don't you understand? Too many get this idea twisted. Too many are living in a distorted reality that, that is headed for a, a stopping place. It's headed for a crash landing with much harm to be done, not only to those that we serve, but to the individual himself and his family and those connected to him. Ministry does not give us a monopoly on God. Ministry should reveal in us and to the world around us that God has the monopoly over us. Man of God. It is a title that is, is common in the Old Testament. It's one that uh, was given to patriarchs and judges and kings and especially the prophets. We see that very, very specifically speaking of the prophet. We might also say God's man because everyone that held the word of God that had been called and given the responsibility to set forth the truth of God's word, they were given that uh, that place, they were called into that very unique and, uh, and distinct area, not for their own self-glory, but so that God would convey his truth to the world, to the people through them. In fact, I would go so far to say that all Christians should be people of God. We know that we are, as the church, we are uh, a, a peculiar people. We are the chosen uh, royal priesthood. We, we are something altogether different, but it is also that we have been called unto. See, a calling has that two 
sided idea to it in that we're called from. We're called out of the world. We're called out of our sin. We're called out of our idolatry. We're called to. We're going to something, from something and to something, to Christ, to holiness, to devotion, love, and uh, etc. But specifically today, and in, in light of this podcast, we're talking to the minister as the messenger, as the servant, as the one under the burden, under the heaviness and the calling to deliver the message and leave the rest to God, to give uh, due diligence to that which we've been called to, but to leave that result to God. I want to say at, at, at the onset that I'm firmly persuaded that the average church pastor does not have this issue. They do not um, exercise themselves with such a, a bold and brash mentality, but I would say that it's troubling that so many do, uh, that so many of great, um, of, of higher positions, of, of, greater, um, of, of greater popularity, um, those who stand out more, that have, have more ears and eyes on them, too many times we see this repeated. Those that, uh, that serve in the South, those that serve in uh, certain areas connected with, uh, with, with churches, with long-standing pastors who, who uh, have, have developed these very poisonous ways of thinking. You and I, we, we could point to someone, whether they be a pastor, an evangelist, and we could see that. But the truth of the matter is, friend, it's not only troubling that it does exist in so many, it's troubling that we often ignore the different ways and characteristics that we show this uh, man of God perversion. And it's something that should bother us. It's something that should trouble us. We ought to hate it like we hate every other sin. Be killing it or it will be killing us. Yes, it most certainly may give us the the feeling of pleasure, a rush of endorphin to know, hey, listen, I, I'm over this. I run this. This is mine. But friend, the end result is most certainly dishonoring to the Lord. It's it's, it's most certainly unworthy of the position of pastor, and it's most certainly troubling and damaging to the church because the truth of it is, is we know of our own natures. We understand that old maxim, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And uh, while that should not be the case, there are some who are not fit to lead. They're just, they're, they've just not, either it is that they have no, they will never be fit to lead, they'll, they'll never uh, have a, a mentality or humility about them to where they can lead. But, but also there are those who are not yet prepared. They're not yet ready. They need more time to soak in, to be taught, to be led. And I'd say this, any man who is not willing to be led is not fit to be a leader. Paul spoke like this when he talks about those in Hebrews, especially who says, says to them, you ought to be teaching these things. Here I am returning with you to the fundamentals, the elementary truths of Scripture, you should already be teaching these things. But yet I, I must speak to you as, as babes, as immature, those who need milk and not meat. Well, the reverse can be so. You can have a babe in a place of authority who is doing much more damage than good, who is causing much more problems than they are bringing about the glory of God. So here is a foundational block, not just for ministry, but for our own personal spiritual theology. This, this is foundational to the whole framework of what we believe. Here it is. It's very simple. God is God. 
We're not. So we don't get to set the terms. We don't get to define for him how this will go. We do things his way or we don't do them at all. That's the commitment that must be made. That has massive implications for what ministry looks like. Let's look at a few verses. Let's let's take the word of God. Let's see what this looks like in context. What this looks like in light of, of the whole of Scripture. Here's what Paul says to Timothy, his, his spiritual ministerial father. He says in 1 Timothy 6, But thou, O man of God, there it is, flee these things. What's he talking about? Well, we go a few verses back into verse into chapter number 5. He's saying flee false teaching, flee pride, flee strife, envy, railings, disputings, uh, surmisings, greed, love of money, flee those things. So again, there is a sense in which being a minister, to be a man of God under the authority and ownership of God is that we are leaving some things and we're consistently turning our backs on them. But there's a sense that we're going towards some things. He says, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and patience. The true man of God, listen to me. I was, I was thinking just today about a great sermon that I would encourage you to find. You can find it on Sermon Index, I'm sure on YouTube. Vance Havner was a great Baptist revivalist. Uh, I say tragically forgotten amongst many today as far as his writings and his sermons. And there are some listening who, who may have even remembered hearing him years ago um, in the early, the mid-70s, early 80s when he was still active Really, it seemed his, his, his prominence rose later in his life, but nonetheless, he preached a sermon on a holy man of God. And um, he, he preached about what that looked like in reference to the account of Elisha and how that he was addressed, how he was spoken of, when it was said by that, uh, that woman, Hereby we perceive a holy man of God which passeth by us, continually. So this sense of being a man of God. Go back and hear that sermon, by the way. Look it up. Listen to it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't do for me to quote or, or to pull from it. You listen to that and let that be an exhortation for you. It's certainly a challenge. Looking at the set-apartness, the holiness to be set aside from uh, our, our own selfishness, our own sinfulness, and unto the Lord but also that sense of faithfulness passing by us continually. The true man of God is marked by his identity in holiness, that separateness, not an isolationism, not that you are marked because of what you don't do. And what you don't do is not done because you're trying to attain something with God as if there's anything you could do of yourself to get anywhere with God. You have got no bargaining chips. The same grace that saved us is the same grace that sanctifies us. Understand that. And I'm sure that you do. But understanding also that there is a testimony that must be considered by the man of God. We don't do what we do as a set of legalism, do's and don'ts. We do what we do because we love Jesus. Because we have a surpassing devotion that carries us to commitment and determination to live in light of his word, to teach what his word says and restrains us from those things that would damage that fellowship. Some ministers take that liberty in being the man of God. They believe themselves by the right of being that, that they're impervious 
to being defeated, taken down by sin. But, friend, how many other faithful men that we have known, how many have to fall? Good men. Men who uh, were of greater wisdom than us. Men who were of greater, uh, or at least by appearance, of greater spirituality than us. Men of greater experience. How many have to fall? Of course, we don't judge our ministry and faithfulness by their unfaithfulness. But how many have to fall by the wayside into immorality and scandal before we can, with Paul, say we need to take heed. We need to be careful. We need to draw the line to say, by the grace of God, I do not want to dishonor him. I don't want to fall before the finish. We all have our own besetting sins that must be mortified. And they do lie in wait if we're not careful. Just at the moment we feel we have attained some place that we are better or higher and above, that is the moment when sin creeps in in such a devastating fashion. So be careful. It is only, as, as the text says, it's only by pursuing God and what is right, what amplifies His character, what is done in dependence in Him, what testifies of His love and patience to others, what shows our own restraint and compassion and what is done with humility. That is pursuing godliness and righteousness, peace, meekness, and patience, shunning that which would do any harm to a consistently growing and devoted life for the man of God. I want to say this, and I want to be very candid. We must never prostitute our calling for that which pleases us. We must never put the calling behind the mark of our own desires. If we are living for the pay, if we're living for the acceptance of others, if we're living because we want to be on, in, in the mix of the, the group of great preachers, if, if we think that we're going to be popular, and that's the way that we have, we have driven our ministry, we need to hand over our rights as ministers, we need to turn aside, be a CEO of a business, you know, go and get a degree in law or medicine. Be a surgeon. Make millions in, in the law courts. Get a plow, a tractor, till the ground. But don't get in the pulpit. Don't take a position of leadership. Understand the necessity and the blessing of knowing what it is to sit, be still, to hear instruction. Friend, saying that you're the man of God does not excuse you from having to learn. And the moment that we do not learn is the moment that we die. John the Baptist, he never built, his, built a church in his name. He never gathered a group and said, you from now on will be uh, my, by my name. You'll be by my moniker. You're going to wear my brand. John the Baptist, when he looked and saw Christ, when he, when he perceived the wonder and glory of the Lord Jesus, he, he knew with, with right intent and with right heart he said, I need to get out of the way. I must decrease. He must increase. He's the sun. I'm the moon. Oh, what a, what a glory to be the moon, to reflect the sunlight. He said, I'm not worthy to bow and unloose his sandal. Is that the way that you understand what it is to be God's man? A heavy responsibility has been laid at our feet, beloved. Not a crown. Not yet. First a cross. If your ministry is a spotlight on your own pursuits and your own image, 
instead of a magnifying glass to the glory of God. I promise it's a failure from the start. We can only live within this ministry and perform the duties the way that we should by yoking up with Jesus, Matthew 11, 28-30, get in His yoke, learn of Him, abide in Him, trust His grace to do what you cannot do and be what you cannot be. I love what John MacArthur says. He said, We are, as Pilgrim's Progress put it, the King's champion. What a marvelous thought. Men of God are men who have been lifted above worldly aims and who have been devoted to divine service. Men belonging to a spiritual order with which things temporal, transitory, and passing have no permanent relationship. We are men who are not the world's men. We are not our own men. We are God's men. We've been raised above earthly things. We've been raised to the heavenlies. We have become the unique possession of God, His property. We stand in His stead to speak His word. Let me say some just some passing thoughts concerning what it is to be a man of God. Very quickly. To be the man of God, understanding what it is in light of Scripture and in light of what following Christ is all about, we understand that our authority is a relegated or a delegated authority. That is to say it's borrowed. We don't take our cues from our own personal ambition, nor do we take it from the world or even from a pattern that is laid forth from another preacher or pastor. Though that can most certainly be helpful and can influence how we understand things, we take our cues and, and we set our terms by the Word of God and by the Word of God alone. Always bear in mind that when you stand as pastor or teacher, when you have the influence of others in your grasp, that is the flock of God. That's Christ's flock. He is intimately and eternally bound to love and protect that flock. They do not belong to us. And they are not ours to browbeat and to, to break to our own image. I don't want to hash words with you, you know, but we say things like, my church, I say those things. And when, I, when I'm speaking of Worship Center Baptist Church, and I say my church, it's not a term of ownership. It's a term of togetherness. They're my church. I'm proud to be a part of Worship Center Baptist Church, but they do not belong to me. Those who, they are not mine. It is that I am responsible to do for them what God has commanded me to, but if ever I, I change the tune and I distort the image to take over instead of being a leader led, then I'm most certainly not living up to the calling on my life. We don't have the right to lead just because we say we do. We don't have the right to stand and take power where we are not given the freedom to do so. I really, you know, I I really think that in the days in which we live we're finding and I would would try